All right, everybody. Uh, I said we were going to read Thessalonians, and I changed my mind. We're reading Colossians. So. Yeah. Um, well, we had Colossians for the Wednesday night service, and when I was preparing for it, I realized I didn't have any idea what I was talking about. So I thought it might be wise that we actually go and study the book uh, together, um, because I mean, there's some pretty big ideas in it, and I think it's a little inaccessible, not because it's um, long or anything like that. It's only four chapters, uh, but because Paul. I think just casually mentions or refers to things that we have no working knowledge of. And this is always a this is always a challenge with the Bible is that um, you know it's given in a particular context. We talked about this with Ezekiel, like so much of Ezekiel re- relied upon us having a working knowledge of Leviticus and the priesthood, because um, Ezekiel was referring to that. And so as we went along, we had to go back and kind of. Um, catch that material as best we could. And even then, you know, it'd probably be worth doing an in-depth of Leviticus as well at some point. So that then maybe next time you would read Ezekiel, be like, oh, I understand. You know, I mean, even just the layout and geography of the temple, the different kinds of sacrifices, all that kind of thing. Same thing with Colossians, although it's a little different with Colossians because the, the context is not the Jewish temple to which we could go to the Old Testament to go read about. Um, But in the case of Colossians, it's what is modern day Turkey. Um, So anybody been to Turkey? No? Um, Yeah, that one. Yeah. Uh, Who called it Turkey, by the way? Whose idea was that? It's Turkaye. I don't know. Have you ever seen it spelled out in their alphabet? Yeah. It's kind of, it's spelled funny. Um, I don't think it refers to the bird at all, so thanks. Um, and so, so what we actually need to understand what Paul's talking about is, fortunately or unfortunately, uh, because it's first century, uh, is a knowledge of the ancient, uh, or the first century Greek world. So um, of Greek gods, of, um, of the geography and the layout of the cities, and... Um, What's happening? This is true for Thessalonians. This was true in 1 Corinthians. We talked about temple worship, but it was Greek temple worship, not Hebrew temple. And so that was in the background on that book too. All right, so we, we broadly call this, Gabe knows all of this stuff because this is what he goes to school for, but um, isagogics, have you heard this word before? Yeah, so that has to do with like language, people, geography, um, history, myth, um, what do you want to say, like practical matters of consideration, family life, you know, all the extra stuff that is in the background, but maybe actually is more than just in the background. Philosophy would be another one too. And um, personally, I love all of that material. I find that very helpful. Uh, unfortunately, Unfortunately, I think we've had a, a tendency in the last 200 years or so to move to what we might call biblicism. Have you heard this word before? Biblicism. The idea that, that we should limit our understanding of the scripture to what the scripture alone says. All right? So that would be like, and, and there is a priority to what the scripture text says, of course. Right? This is, this is Christ's inspired word. So, so we... 
But our understanding of what that, like say for example, a particular word, its definition, well, its definition is coming out of a context of other literature, you know, be it um, Herodotus and his histories or, it, or the, you know, the Peloponnesian Wars. You can go and read how he uses that same Greek word and that, that does inform the way that it's used in the New Testament, right? So, so the scripture is never alone. I guess that's, the scripture alone is our source of doctrine, but the scripture itself is never alone. It's always, it was given in a context and it's preached into a context of people. And so uh, it's worth looking at some of these things. Of course, unfortunately, what we're going to learn here is with the church in Colossae, oh, is it the fly that's confusing the screen? See? It does that. It'll start drawing on the screen. It's kind of fun. <laughs> the, uh, what we're going to learn about with the church in Colossae, I think, and I've only started to dig into it, is that uh, a lot of it Paul just flippantly throws out um, we have no working knowledge of. We, we just, we have had not been exposed to. Um, and so, I, but there's no reason why we can't learn. Barb and I were talking about that before we started. Like, why not learn about it? No, that doesn't mean you even have to understand necessarily um, after we're done. I'll give you just one example of this, which would be um, what I tried to preach about on Wednesday night in my day's stupor of a, of a head cold. <laughs> Uh, is that Paul was speaking cosmologically. He was talking about the nature of the heavens and the earth and everything in and out, invisible, visible, and how Christ is actually, um, if you like, he's, he's, it's all for him and through him, so he's the thing that joins everything together. Now, that's a pretty big idea. Uh, what Paul is doing, though, is he's transposing a Greek idea and putting Jesus there. So there's the Greek idea that, that everything, uh, there's a oneness to all of creation. Well, they wouldn't use the word creation. There's a oneness to all reality, right? And Paul says, well, you're right, but it's Jesus who actually gives meaning and, and actually creates all reality. And it was all made for him and through him. All right. Now that's a really big idea. And I don't know how well we can get our head around that um, without coming to grips with what, what the Greeks were thinking. All right. So... Questions so far? That was probably enough right now to overwhelm you. So, uh, so w w the way you can do isagogics, um, there's books and whatnot, and you can buy commentaries. Uh, but a simple tool is called Wikipedia. There was much. You know, but, uh, look, Wikipedia, if you want to go read about your favorite political figures, um, if they're on the right especially, um, they're probably going to be misrepresented on Wikipedia. Uh, but if you want to talk about a historical site <laughs> in the ancient world, it's not a bad resource. All right, so we'll, you can see some of the ruins of Colossae there. Every um, Greek city is going to have a big hill, all right? And uh, it's called a tell. Have you heard that before, the word tell? So this is usually how they go and find sites, is they find hills. And they're like, oh, I wonder what was here. And they start digging, and they're like, hey, look, there was something here. Because <laughs> you would always build on a hill. Why is that? It's a, it's a, okay, I heard a couple of things. Flood. Flood. All right, good. Okay, yeah, so you, it's defensible. That's good. Greek, um, excuse me, Gabe said high place. They tend to be places of worship then too because you're closer to the gods. So it does all of those things. 
So here's the, here's the tell or what's left of it, probably in Colossae. Here's some ruins they've excavated. They've only started to excavate because, uh, you know, there's not a lot of money for this. And uh, it's along a river. I think it tells you that here somewhere. Yeah, Lycus, the Lycus Valley, the Lycus River, close to Mount Cadmus in the Aegean region. You all know where this is. Uh, but may, uh, that was a joke. Phrygia, you may have heard of Phrygia. Yeah, wh- where did you hear about the Phrygians? Where does that, where does that come? Uh, yeah, you hear it every year. This is the reason why you're, you're like, Phrygians. Where have I heard about the Phrygians? It's at Pentecost. Very good, Gabe. Yeah, there's, there's Phrygians. Uh, gathered around the disciples when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, right? Because you have Cretans and Romans. Yeah, yeah, and Phrygian was one of them. Uh, you would actually know another city along, along the Lycus River, um, right next to Colossae, along with Hermopolis, I think is the other city. I have to look at the notes here. Oh, Hierapolis. Hierapolis and, and Colossae and Laodicea. You've heard that name before? Yeah, why do you know Laodicea? <laughs> this is good. This is good. The seven letters to the seven churches of Revelation. Ah, all right. Yeah. All right. So Laodicea and Colossae are, are, are like within and this Hierapolis. Those three cities are like 12 kilometers apart. So they're all along that same river. Now, when you hear um, the letter to the church in Laodicea, remember what, what's the... What was the problem with the church in Laodicea? What did Jesus tell them? You are neither hot nor cold. Yeah, you're lukewarm, so I spit you out of my mouth. All right, so it had to do with the the water temperature. (laughs) All right, and they're on a river. All right, so the connection to the river and um, you would want it to be springs of living water um, or hot springs, right? Those Those are both healing kind of waters. But lukewarm, just kind of like, well, what good is that? It's not good for bathing. It's not good for refreshment. It's just, everybody knows this. Room temperature water. No. No, put an ice cube in it or heat it up. One of the two. All right. What's that? Oh, yeah, I named him Luke after lukewarm. That's right. That's right, names. So anyway, you can read... You can go and read. You can read about the history of Coloss, uh, Colossae. And of course, people from Colossae are called Colossians. There you go. Very good. All right. So that's Wikipedia. That's a one tool you can use. And if you just start searching for things, you're going to find things, right? Oh, look at there. There is uh, Mount Cadmus, which I mentioned before. Colossae is near the base of Mount Cadmus, modern day city of Honaz. All right, there's the hill that we were just talking about, right? The tell? Yeah. So that's what they think. That's, you know, and some of this is a little bit of a guess. And again, more history you can read about. Oh, look, there's a rock. All right, very nice. All right. Here's a map. This might actually help you a little bit. Yeah. So, okay, here we are. Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth, which is... Quite literally, way over here in Phrygia, Asia Minor, right? Uh, a lot of these cities you're going to recognize uh, from those seven churches. 
of Asia Minor. What do we have? Ephesus. Ephesus. We have a letter to the Ephesians. That's right. Smyrna. Yeah, that's mentioned. What? So which ones are the seven churches? Philadelphia, Laodicea. Those are the only two that come to mind. Well, right. So you have other letters. Yeah, Paul writing to the Thessalonians here in Macedonia, which is northern Greece. The Bereans, Paul shows up there, right? Samothrace. Philipp, the Philippians are way over here. So, you, so they're not the same people as Thessalonica, Philippi. This is why maps are helpful. They're like, oh, well, no wonder the letter is different. Paul writes differently to people in Colossae than he would in, to people in Thessalonica. They don't even live in the same part of the world at all. Now, they're all Greeks of a sort. Um, there's Troy, you know about that city, right? <laughs> or maybe you do. That'd be a fun, fun thing to just read for the fun of it, right? But yeah, a lot of these places Paul visited on his missionary journeys. Uh, Colossae, I think we decide is around 60 AD. So on his third missionary journey is when he's going to make it all the way, or he's going to make it over here. Now, Perga, Pamphylia, those are some of the ones that we hear about at um, Pentecost, right? All right. So there's a river, and the Colossae, Laodicea, and this Hierapolis, these are all on a river right here. So of course they're going to, and that, that would come out to the sea, so you're going to have a trade route along that river, right? Barges or whatnot to move things up and down the river. That's the way you would be there. You know, there's Galatia, way over there, right? Some, and we find out Nicaea, you know where that is. What? Why are there two Antiochs? Why are there two Antiochs? Yeah. Well, this is always a problem. Um, you have the same problem. Um, there's two Bethlehems, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we don't usually hear about both Bethlehems. There's, there's a little one that's up north. Um, we usually hear about the one near Jerusalem. Oh, there's, and there's also two Bethanies. Bethanos. Right. Um, we just... Okay, so when, when you're physically kind of run down from sickness, what do you usually do to find rest and relaxation? You turn on the black box and you watch television? Okay. <laughs> Which I don't know. Why. Anyway, so I saw um, Amazon Prime added um, Northern Exposure. Do you remember that show? Sure. I never watched it. So I'm like, I wonder if it was funny. It is funny. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> right. But to your, to your point, Don, what's the name of the town in Alaska? It's spelled differently. It's called Sicily. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, that's funny. Yeah, but it's C-E-L-E. Yeah, right. They spell it differently, but yeah, the places get named the same thing all over the place. And that, it's the, what do you call it, the Riviera of Alaska? Well, that's like, that's just like around here, too. There's, there's Batavia, Wisconsin. There's Batavia, Illinois. There's yeah. Batavia, New York. Sure. So, yeah. Well, and some of these places are just named out after old places like Philadelphia, right? Yeah. Athens, yeah, Athens, right. So I, to your answer, yeah, it does get a little confusing in the ancient world um, that way. But maps are helpful for this. Um, so you can kind of, between the pictures and the maps, you can kind of get an idea of what's going on there. Um, it was destroyed. That's why we don't really know what's going on too much. So you can read about that. 
Uh, what's an, just, you just search the Google and then you see things, right? All right, so here we go. Here's the Lycus River. You can see Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis on the other side of it, right? And then it, it, that's a smaller river into a larger one. It looks like, yeah, because Philadelphia, that one ends. Fair enough? Okay. Uh, yeah, so just, you can use the Google, but it's fine. Uh, let's see, so before we look at the handout, I think what we need to do is just listen to it. Yeah. It's not a long book. Uh, I'm just going to play it from a book on tape that has, has um, it's been a long time since the children have heard these, but they have sound effects and it's kind of dramatically read by famous Hollywood actors. I don't know if that'll keep your attention more than me just one of you reading it. But we'll try. Uh, and you can follow along on the screen. So it's going to be New King James Version. So. Reconcile all things to himself, 
by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you, to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Hopefully it keeps going. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, Yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead body, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink 
or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is a Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the That's the cue to take a drink. Now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave, nor free, but Christ is all, and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, 
obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. too long, huh? I mean, it's just the length of a sermon, right? So that, um, <laughs> to take the time to just actually just to read an epistle that way, I don't know that we don't usually do it, 
Um, but you heard here at the very end that that's exactly what it was to be, how it was to be used. So they would read the, read the letter um, to the church from Paul, and it became a circular letter because it was also to be shared then with the Laodiceans. Um, the epistle from Laodicea, probably when we get to that, we'll have to talk about what happened to that one because <laughs> we don't have that one in the scriptures. Um, and of course, we believe in one holy Christian and apostolic, apostolic church, right? So uh, these teachings of the apostles um, be, are collected and um, become considered scripture, right? That they were inspired by the Spirit and because uh, they were received by the churches that way. All right. Any, anything strike you in particular as, as you got to hear it all in one context like that? I don't know. If, if you're like me, you probably had all sorts of ideas, but... Mm. Okay, so that was in chapter 3. Uh, we had these, yeah, well, and also right before it, too. Put away these things, right? Put to death these, these parts of your members. Put away these things, and then instead put on tender mercies, kindness, meekness, long-suffering, right? Um, this is, I guess, what we would call exhortation. Um, that's the usual word that the Scripture uses, um, instruction for Christian living, if you like, something like that. Uh, part of uh, our challenge is that we never want to communicate to you that the way that you live um, justifies you before God. All right? So we want to be very clear about that. But we also believe that, the, that those whom Christ has justified, he also sanctifies. That is, he leads by his Spirit into holy living. Right, so the behavior of Christians is something the scriptures um, care about. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, justify you, or that is, um, set you right before God, um, but it is the fruit of that justification in your life. So, um, but, the, but of course, how does the Spirit work? The Spirit works through the Word. So Christians are exhorted or directed to live in a particular way, because it's in that direction that the Spirit actually works the things that are demanded or asked of. Actually, here, just um, it's not even demanded, right? It's, it's, a, it's very gentle language. It's the language of baptism to put on clothing, right? Yeah, thank you, Matt. That's nice. All right. If you look at the back side of the handout, um, you'll see... Kind of a typical, this is actually a pretty typical um, outline of football. Just randomly, just, okay. A pretty typical outline of an epistle. So you can see how it usually works. There's a salutation or a greeting, right? Dear so-and-so. Then there's the, this overture. That's a little unique to Colossians. Then we have the main exposition. So there, there's, a, there's probably... Uh, a teaching in mind here or a correction that Paul is seeking. And then to Matt's point, chapter three and four have these instructions um, for their conduct amongst their fellow Gentiles. All right. And uh, so that's a pretty typical outline is to have that kind of, that kind of uh, instructions for life. But it's, it's almost a, this outline, this is from the Lutheran study Bible. If you've got one of those, this is just from that introductory material at the beginning of the book. But it's almost as if an, it's an appendix. It's not the main part of the preaching, but it is 
Now, given what, what, we, what I've just taught you, what, what are the implications for your life? Well, that's what Paul's doing there. Yeah. So you can see that. Anything, anything else catch your attention? Yeah, that the gospel was preached to every creature under heaven. I think I mentioned that um, on Wednesday. I might have. That uh, just as by one man sin entered the world and with sin, then the corruption to the whole world, right? Sickness, death, but also entropy, the collapse of, of the world, the world itself being consigned to destruction on the last day. So also then by one man who brings forgiveness of sins, there's also a restoration to all of creation, right? So uh, here you might, you might think of Isaiah, where you have just these, and, and the psalmist too, um, have these incredible statements about, about the, the trees of the forest clapping their hands and the seas shouting for joy. And yeah, you have all of creation crying out in, in thanksgiving for, their, for its redemption too. All right, now, it's not redeemed in the same way that maybe we are. Um, well, actually, through the suffering and death of Jesus, yes, where he makes all things new. And I, so Gabe's point, I think, is that the implication of that, maybe we don't necessarily think through all the way to its end, right? We're like, well, he makes me new, gives me the resurrection of the body. Yes, of course. Um, but what about the rest? And, you know, here's, here's the uh, age-old question, do all dogs go to heaven? <laughs> I know, we love our dogs. Um, actually, I don't love my dog. Never mind. <laughs> He's terrible. <laughs> Anytime I say that, though, you know, we always remember the dogs are a reflection of their owners. So. <laughs> Well, I mean, that is his call. And Paul uniquely actually does it. <laughs> One who is untimely born, he actually goes about preaching the gospel to all nations, um, even to the animosity of, of his fellow apostles. Remember, he's brought before the council in Jerusalem in Acts 15, right? <laughs> and it's like, well, what business do you have, you know, as a persecutor of the church preaching the gospel? And it's like, well, I'm actually preaching the Gentiles. And guess what? They're receiving the same spirit as you. They're being baptized in the same name as you, right? They're confessing the same faith and they're doing it without circumcision, which of course that came up in this letter, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I forget what the question was or the statement was. Oh, that the gospel is going forth to the world. Um, I think it is the conviction of the apostles and you get this in the New Testament, you especially get this towards the later epistles and, and then St. John's Apocalypse, that Christ is coming soon. That, that the work is not necessarily desperate, but the work is now. And that they're gonna, that gospel is going to go to the end of the world and then Christ is going to come. And that's our conviction too. Um, but of course, from our perspective, Christ is delayed in this coming, right? It's like, so our prayer, as was their prayer, especially after um, the destruction of Jerusalem and the uh, scattering of God's people. Um, 
is that Christ would come quickly. So we, we pray that. Uh, we actually made it a meal prayer of all things, right? Come, Lord Jesus. Yeah. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Maranatha is the, the Greek word. So they, it seems Paul has that conviction. I agree. Yeah, that the gospel is going forth and then Christ is coming again. Um, and maybe that's not a, again, that's not desperation, but it is a conviction that this, this work will be done and then Christ will come. And as the whole number, all the saints of heaven will be numbered. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Vicki. 314 makes me think of that article I read yesterday. Oh. And that they use that. I thought about bringing it over. It just makes me think of someone taking that particular Mm. and using that as like, well, here, here you go. It's all you need. Right. Right. Did you, did everybody read the sounder? You brought it? I brought it. I brought it. I know. I, you shouldn't go around bad-mouthing other pastors, especially on the internet. Well, she, she calls herself Pastor Bridget, so, I mean, she is illegitimately holding the office, that is true. Um, but then the question is, is their church a confessing church? Yeah, I know, it's usually right at the beginning. Oh, there it is, clergy comment. I, I haven't actually met her, so I, I don't know. Um, but she, it's an article about... Um, in vitro fertilization and this Alabama Supreme Court decision, um, which was legally sound, but of course has many controversial implications for people. They're like, oh, so, so according to Alabama law, um, a fertilized embryo is, is human life. So then the Supreme Court said, uh, of Alabama, said that, well, the location of that fertilized embryo isn't really relevant then as you can't destroy it because it's, it's human life. So whether that's in the womb, abortion, or it's outside the womb, extra utero, um, these frozen embryos, um, this, we can't destroy those because they're, they're human. It's human life. That was the Supreme Court ruling, uh, which the implication was is that that means no in vitro fertilization in Alabama uh, unless you're just willing to have all the fertilized embryos implanted. Right? I mean, and as a Christian, um, we generally don't embark upon things that have questions that we're not willing to answer. Is that, does that make sense? You know, especially when it comes to technology. Um, I say that generally, but like we all willingly embarked upon the, the experiment of, of television and then the internet and like, oh, we'll just put our services on the internet and we'll, we'll, find, and we'll find out what happens. And it turns out that they're actually not good for people. Um, there, there's exceptions to that. I think people who um, you know, truly are incapacitated and can't come to church, uh, maybe there's a benefit in hearing God's word that way. But, but it's not the assembling together that the scripture talks about, right? Which is incarnational. It's with people and, and bodily together. And it, and it includes a bodily reception of Christ's body and blood in the sacrament and all of that, right? Right, so we didn't maybe to think through the whole implications of it, and then the consequence of, of it may be worse. Now, this is a totally different decision because, um, you know, Christians historically have said that we don't interfere in the business of reproduction. We don't interfere in it at all. So um, God knits together life when and where he wills. That's, that was our confession. Um, and then only for the last 120 years, um, 
have Christians begun to say, well, we can freely enter in, into and out of through a hormonal birth control, whether or not we have children, for example. Um, whatever you think about that, isn't, you have to think about the consequences of it and saying, well, is God going to knit together a life where we're um, voluntarily saying, no, I don't want you to give me that? Um, well, he does actually sometimes. People conceive even though they think that they can't because they're on a pill um, or using some kind of other method. So that's one, one challenge. And then now what, what about that life that God gave you in the midst of a situation where you didn't want it? You can see now you put yourself in an ethical bind, right? It's like God says this is human life and it's for you. And you're saying, but I didn't ask for it. Isn't that the nature of Christian life though? <laughs> is that God continues to put things on us, both good and bad from our perspective, um, but that are for our, always for our benefit, whether we ask for it or not. He says here, Christian, you're going to go through, um, through the death of a loved one or you're, <laughs> you're going to have um, sickness, right, with one of your children. That's going to require lifelong care. Sorry, we're thinking about that, right? How's Brad doing? Did he go home today, maybe? I didn't even hear it. I think this yeah. morning, except she put on Facebook, what song was running through her dentist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, Billy Joe's great. Um, that's not something you asked for, but the Lord gave it to you. Um, maybe at this point you can say, you can speak of, I mean, it's not easy and we wouldn't wish it on anyone, but there have been benefits in a sense, spiritual benefit, hopefully. God has used that to strengthen your faith um, and your trust in him to provide for not only for you, but for your son, and, right? And you, know, the, and you can say God provided for him a spouse miraculously that, that was a donor. I mean, who, who could have, right? God knit that together in a way that you wouldn't have ever... Predicted. Right. So, so we've always been this way. And then now um, we're, we're a little less willing to receive life when and where God gives it because of um, medical technologies that we probably received on relatively uncritically. And uh, we're actually being guided by um, really evil forces, people that introduced hormonal birth control. We're trying to call the population is what the goal was, is to prevent the birth of people. Um, because and especially the wrong kind of people. Um, so that was ethnic, a lot. Um, Planned Parenthood clinics were planted next to black communities intentionally. That was the reason. Uh, it's black genocide is what the goal was. Just a very soft way. Instead of, you don't just go through and kill people, you just destroy their families and their, and their, and their children. Um, so that, and, and so then in vitro fertilization comes along because of course, now we've actually made a mess of our fertility <laughs> for that reason and for other reasons. So now, and people delay childbirth till later in life, but they're like, but now I want the child that God promised to me. Well, did he promise? When and where he wills. So then we're like, well, we have this other family, f famous technology. We used to just call it test tube babies. Remember that? Yeah, test tube babies. Um, which you say, well, God wants life and he wants to give married couples children, right? You want Mary Poppins, okay. <laughs> Rando abstract, she's my daughter, I love it. Um, but, um, but we ask, is this technology the, the gift that God has given us for that purpose? Can it be, can it be used rightly and can be used wrongly, right? Is, that is it possible that we could actually just want children selfishly and, not, and God doesn't actually 
want us to have children of our own, but maybe he would have us adopt or he would have us um, be in a sense surrogate. Um, I have um, a really uh, good friend, went to seminary with her husband. Um, you know Katie Sherman, you've met Katie through LWML, yeah. Um, she, had, she has an excellent book called uh, He Remembers the Baron. I have a couple copies of this. And, you know, it's a story in the Bible is that barrenness is a sign of God's judgment. And, it's, it's, and women are often given to bear that. Some of the most significant figures of the Bible were barren for most of their uh, life, right? And God had miraculously gave them children. Um, but he did it through a word, right, of promise and not through a technology. So we don't necessarily approach technology um, and saying, well, all technology is good. We understand that technology can be used outside of what it's intended. And in this case, the, our, our clergy comment says, um, you know, she, her, her conscience is appeased because she received a child through IVF, so, oh, look, I'm pregnant. Oh, our surrogate is pregnant. Um, oh, no, this is a friend she was writing about, an acquaintance. Um, she had a child, but she, her conscience is appeased because the other fertilized children, embryos, but the children that she had conceived outside the womb um, they donated to science to be dismembered and experimented on. So, but she didn't say that, of course. <laughs> it's like, oh, to science, as if science is some kind of like morally neutral agency that is not using artificial. So, this is a, it's a very big topic. IVF has provided opportunity for all sorts of terrible use, as long with abortion. Um, even though children have, God had granted children through this. And we always celebrate life, even if it's conceived in situations that we would say, um, you know, we would, we would rather people not engage in because of the moral quandary of it. Um, so Christians generally don't embark upon things that put us in a situation where we have to make a decision like that. Sometimes God puts us in that situation, though. I think end-of-life decisions are one of those, right? We just don't have a ch- There's no good choice. Um, do, do you... A DNR or not, right? Do not resuscitate these kinds of things. But that's, that's put upon you by God. It's not one that you embark upon. You don't put yourself in a situation where you have to make a life or death decision that way. Um, so anyway, it's an interesting article. But uh, to, to the point, I think, why did I bring it up again? Or why did you bring it up? Oh, because she says that the first word and the, and the chief word should be the word of the neighbor. So whatever your neighbor says, that's what you should take, should take, give priority because God's word doesn't say anything about human life, basically, you know, in conception, you like, she said, because it doesn't say anything about IVF, that means God doesn't have anything to say. You're like, I mean, it's, it's such a biblical shallowness, I guess, a, a lack of thoughtfulness, um, and not thinking about long-term implications. Or well, right, exactly. Um, Paul doesn't seem to have that problem here. I mean, how many times does he say throughout that Christ would be all in all, right? And that all things were made through him and for him. And uh, that Christ would dwell richly in you. That Christ forgave you, right? That you are the elect of God. That you are part of his body. You're called into one body, right? Is that everything is in Christ and for Christ and through Christ. And the only way that you can even understand, begin to understand your life in this world is to see it through Christ and his cross, which is what we've been trying to do on Wednesday nights. Cover your mouth, please. Talk about that. All right, yeah. So, I, is that where you were going? I don't know. It just seems like she's misusing, or mm-hmm. not misusing, but just kind of 
Well, she, uh, yeah, the, and the easy way to, to the point I was just making is she just sets it aside. I mean, that's the most appalling thing about saying we're going to talk about IVF without even attempting to bring scripture to bear. We're going to listen first to what, how, how it makes our neighbors feel or, or how, you know, these material or earthly benefits. And, and the, you know, and those poor children that are sacrificed on the altar of science, you know, that she willingly gave over children to be sacrificed for science. Yeah, there were fertilized embryos outside of her womb, but what do we believe, right? Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's where it gets to be really, I mean, because we want to be compassionate, and, which is what she is actually arguing for, is compassion for people who, um, who are infertile. Um, but then to justify IVF as a response to that is the problem. Um, She's not, ex- no, she doesn't think barrenness is a judgment. That, um, not necessarily. Like I said, they're, they're, the Christians have largely been compelled then to, um, to adopt those who are without parents. Um, foster care is, an, is another thing. Um, I have, I have uh, I mentioned Katie Shurman. She and her husband basically adopted as sponsors all of the children of another classmate. So they ended up being baptismal sponsors for basically a whole other family, a large family like ours, you know, has many children. And so they pray for them and um, send them encouraging notes and do the kind, I mean, this is always the thing with, um, with being single or a widow or widower is that it does, um, it does afford you some time that you may not have um, otherwise, where maybe you can be attentive to people in a way that um, others can't be because, you know, you have time for prayer and, or to write a letter or this kind of thing. Um, and so that's, that's how they take advantage of it. I don't think there's one answer, Matt. And, um, but I don't know that we've thought too carefully about it. And so that's why well, I would commend that book. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and you saw the kind of judgment that like Hannah has to bear from from her fellow wife, which never mind the wisdom of that decision. I just have to roll my eyes at the at the patriarchs. It's like, what are you doing with the multiple women? Like, one's enough. <laughs> one's enough. But um, well, and and part of it, I mean, and even like Leah and Rachel give over their handmaids to have children by Jacob too. And it's for preservation of the family, right? Um, and you think life, you know, majority of children don't make it out of, out of um, childhood, you know, in that world. I mean, it's, it's difficult. Once you get to, you know, young adulthood, which we, we would say is like 35. For them, it was probably 15, <laughs> 14, right? Basically fertility. I mean, once you become an adult, then... Um, you know, it tends to go well, but yeah, uh, I don't know if I want to say more about that. I mean, we could, but the, let's get to something positive. Um, you'll note here that Paul had, one of the things that caught my attention is that he repeatedly referred to something, uh, referred to a couple things, powers and principalities. Did you catch that? 
powers and principalities. And uh, he finally kind of gets to the point here, I think, where he says, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshy mind. All right, so this worship of angels, of things that are not seen, um, is in the background, and, and this is because of the, the worship life of the pagans in Colossae, um, as they're worshiping idols or demons or spiritual powers and things that, that, um, that are real but aren't seen. Remember, so we heard on Wednesday night, visible and invisible, right? Um, and powers and principalities and powers. All those languages, those are um, categories of angelic beings or spiritual beings. And Paul has that in mind throughout the book that, that there, what's, it seems, well, this is one of the things about interpretation of an epistle. He doesn't always come out and just say, here's your problem, which would be lovely for our sake. to say, tell us exactly what's happening in the church in Colossae. He does that in 1 Corinthians. He's like, look, dude, you can't be having an affair with your daughter-in-law. <laughs> like, well, I would rather have not known the specific details. Thanks, Paul. Right? And then when he doesn't give us the specific. But, but I think through implication, by what he actually says not to do, you can get a sense of what they're doing. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it, it seems from the number of times that he mentions that throughout, that, that they're caught up in some kind of spiritualism this high, a higher form of worship that, that's outside the body. And of course, there is no worship that's outside the body. You always worship with your body, right? You bow, you kneel, you fold your hands, you raise your eyes, you lower your eyes, you extend your hands, you fold your hands. I mean, we do all sorts of, we move front to back, up to the altar. I mean, the worship is done in the body. And what you do with your body is always an act of worship. That's connected to the IVF, by the way, too, right? What we do with our body is always an act of worship. What we believe, who we trust in, and what, what we think um, he has said to us. So uh, that, that's, what, that's probably what we'll end up having to deal with right away next time, or if we get through the introduction, which we probably won't, but um, is what is all of this, what is happening there what religion are they believing in? And if you want to start to get a, to dig into that, um, read carefully <laughs> page one and two. Uh, there's going to be so many things here that you're going to say, what are they talking about? That's okay. Um, in order to understand the epistle, I mean, we can get it at a surface level. Hopefully it just kind of flowed over you here as you got to hear the whole letter in one sitting. And I think you got the thrust of it. Let Christ be all in all and through all. And I'm going to focus on the mind of Christ and the care for my neighbor. And, but what is he also rejecting? And we're going to dig into that. And um, there's some pretty good, I think, suggestions as to what that is here in this introductory um, part. All right. So take notes or highlight if you want on that, if you have a chance to read through that. Um, and then we can dig into any of these things that he's talking about, perhaps, in the background. Does that work? All right, good. Let's go to church.
We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.